1: Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. My name is Casey Scott. My co-host is Dr. Matt Woolley. He's a clinical psychologist. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Hey, so we've got an exciting show for you today. We're going to bring back a guest. Uh... I probably shouldn't have said doing good. We should isn't you... it
2: doing well? Ah, uh, you're That's asking me the English. Yeah, the I make English. up my own. Well, words. we got a guy from Ogden and a guy from Morgan, so yeah. I'm not sure we ever really know.
1: I think either way, we're doing good or doing well. Okay. Hey, so uh, the other day, I'm at the gym you know, working on my fitness. You do that every day. I do it. And it's a vital part of my recovery. Right. Uh, and you, your family, uh, you be, you get a gym family, if you will. And so people that you see at the gym and okay. like, you don't really know a lot about them, but I, it, it really is like, if you don't see them and you see them four days later, you'd be like, Hey, what's up? Where have you been? And yeah. you like, Oh, I was out of town or is this. And so you start to get little bits of insights.
2: Situational uh, friends. Yes. That's what we call it. These si- are your gym buddies. Situational friends. Mm. And, uh, But in true Casey style, he took that to family. Yeah. Because Casey is inclusive and Everybody's in. You're a lover of everyone. Yeah, I get it. So I'm on this machine,
1: I'm working on my
2: abs. Uh-huh. Uh, you know okay. what I mean?
1: I'm glad you said abs.
2: I, I,
3: yeah. I,
1: I don't want, uh, maybe I should just say ab because there's not a bunch of them.
2: Okay. Well, you know, you're planning ahead.
1: So I'm there and I'm doing my crunches and I've yeah. got one ear pod in and the other one tucked up under my hat in case people are talking to me and I want to be able to hear what they're saying. So I don't have to do the thing where like, hold very, on.
2: Very pro- pro-social of You know mean. what I mean? Taking yeah. it
1: off and going, wait, what was that again? And it's sure. like, hey, you're on my machine. But that's not what was being said. So I'm okay. working on my crunches. Yeah. And I hey, hear these two people, it was two dudes talking back and forth. And one was going, hey, did you watch the game last night? And they were talking about the, the Thursday night football game.
2: I bet that's said a thousand times at the gym. The that seems like, like the place where somebody would ask you if you've seen the game last night. And he goes,
1: night. no, how was it? And he goes, well, the New York Giants quarterback set a record for getting knocked down 22 times. And I went, did he finish the game? And I wasn't even in on the conversation. (laughs) Right. And the guy goes, yeah, he did. I goes, sounds like he set a record for getting up 23rd, 23. Oh, I like it. You know what I mean? Optimism. But that's where my head went. And and they stopped and they go, that's right. I go, hey, yeah, I mean, he got knocked down 22 times. You can look at it either way, right? But he got up 23 23. and finished the game. Yeah. But society focuses on how many times he gets knocked down. It's the negativity bias. I watched. The news later that day and that was the headline story quarterback gets knocked down 22 times oh, isn't that too bad why I, didn't they say he gets up 23 and times. finish the game and yeah. they lost i mean they didn't win but i mean that guy at the the 19th time he got knocked down probably went man i don't know if i can do this much more <laughs> this is sucky or
2: like the first time
1: yeah. yeah because i mean you look at those linebackers and those linemen coming yeah. at you and they're, they're and
2: pretty serious about knocking you down their job is to yeah. hurt
1: you yeah and, and and so much in the fact that They get accolades when they do. Oh, for sure. And so this guy got knocked down 22 times. But in my mind, he got up 23. I love it. And finished the game. I love it. And so that's what I... I hope
2: that he sees it your way. And that will be the difference between whether he's a good athlete or a great athlete. A great athlete, I think, jumps right to that point of view about their experience. Because people destroy other people in the media like never in history before with social media right and they take they they are always waiting to take you down uh even psychologists who just read data on a podcast sometimes take a lot of flack because of the data that they're reading that isn't theirs and so uh, imagine a football player is much more interesting than a psychologist i get it getting knocked down this sounds very personal it's not Okay. I don't know. Just an example. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, Very specific example. <laughs> well, you know, and and I hope that for this guy's sake, he's not listening to I got knocked down 22 times. I hope that he naturally or with the help of, you know, people that he works with that he's focused on. I got up 23 times and that is my record that I'm focusing on. So I love the fact that your brain went right there.
1: So now go, Casey, why did you bring up this football statistic on a podcast? Yeah, I was wondering, Casey, so why did you bring this up? Because I can liken it to recovery. Because I remember the time I was sitting in recovery, and there was a guy next to me, and it was was parents weekend. And the dad goes, son, we're done. This is your ninth time doing this. And Mm -hmm. the son goes, well, dad, we're technically done until I'm done. And the daddy goes, no, I get that, but we're financially broke and we can't do it anymore. But when I heard the other day that that kid is sober, Mm. I applauded him. Because it took the 10th time. And so there's a lot of people in recovery that have relapses. And relapses are a part of the program. But there are so many people, once you get sober, even so much as the fact, when I got my job back on KSL, and I'm doing a TV reporting job, and they hired me, and I'm full-time, benefits, and all that good stuff. Two years ago, somebody asked me, how can you promise me that this will never happen again? Right. Everything inside me wanted to say, it won't. I got it this time. I promise but I know my recovery and I know what the statistics are. And I said, you know what? I can't. And he goes, how can you not promise me? I said, because I don't know. I can tell you I'm better equipped. I have a better knowledge about my addiction, a better understanding, and I have more tools than I've ever had, but I cannot give you a promise.
2: Yeah. Cause
1: you run an honest program and that's now. what works for me. Yeah. yeah. But, and but, you did not get that job. As I recall, right? I did not get that job. <laughs>
2: right but but wasn't it better to be honest with him and honest with yourself and it, it, yeah
1: so far honesty's been working and it it's crazy like yeah. it, it's it's wonderful honesty is Wonderful is the best policy, and sometimes it is hard. Yeah, sometimes you have to say. I things. think it's harder. I think it's hard almost all the time. To well, be that's honest. why people you know lie. What I mean? Because it's the easy way yeah. out. Yeah. Sometimes those jeans make your butt look big. Yeah, you know what I mean. But I am going to say, no, honey, you are good. Yeah, well, there
2: you know, time, time and place, right? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah,
1: but so I what I wanted to say is that you know we've had people on the podcast who have relapsed and found their sobriety. Maybe they went to rehab once, twice, three, four, five times. We've yeah. had people that have gone nine and 11, and now they're here to tell right. their recovery story. Mm-hmm. And what it is is getting up one more time. One more time. Yeah. And you need to get up one more time.
2: Oh, I love it. And that, that's uh, back to what I've always accused you of being, and that's an optimist. And we know the research on optimists optimists tend to succeed more than pessimists and you know the pessimists can pretend they're realists if that makes them feel better mm-hmm. but the reality is if you're an optimist you find a way to go one more time and i'm guessing that this quarterback i didn't see the game i'm guessing he got he's, knocked down
1: 22 times i heard that yeah
2: it's a rumor but uh i'm assuming that he's an optimist because he got up 23 times and so that's that's a wonderful trait and some people are kind of born that way. Let's be honest. The research is kind of clear that you have a small percentage of people that are just super optimistic and a small percentage that are just super pessimistic from the get-go. But the vast majority of us, regardless of where we start on that continuum, uh, it's learned. Mm-hmm. And so if you're struggling and feeling like, yeah, maybe I am kind of a pessimist and then maybe it does hold me back, you can learn to be more optimistic.
1: So um, my son's been going to this boot camp twice a week. You know what I mean? To try to get him ready to figure out if he wants to be a sporty kid or just to get out and active and, and do this. Good fitness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's important. Uh, fitness has been vital, like I've said, to my recovery. And I find a lot of benefit in it. So I pick him up uh, from boot camp and we're driving home. And my son, Bowden, he's the smartest guy. And he's so intellectual. And he really likes to think. And so we're driving. And he goes, hey, dad. And I always love when he says, hey, dad. Because <laughs> I know whatever he's going to say. Something's good to come. Something's going to come. And he goes, so there's a quote on the wall in the library, and I go, Oh, yeah, there's probably lots of quotes. He goes, But I really like this one. And I go, well, What did it say? And he said, The difference between extraordinary. Oh, how did it say? He goes, The difference between extraordinary or something, but there's the word extra. Does that make sense? Extraordinary? Yeah, extraordinary. Okay. Yeah, and that's what he said. So he goes, The difference between ordinary and extraordinary is just that extra.
0: And, ah, s- yeah. and, and so we
1: started talking about one. that. And, and so I was like, do you know what that extra means? And he goes, well, I mean, I'm not really sure. I go, it's just that little something more. And I said, so when we were at the gym and I was watching you run the sprints, soon as you could see the cone, you let up a little bit. He goes, yeah, because I was done. I go, you're not technically done till you pass that cone, son. Mm. So you got to push it just yeah. a little extra more. Yep. And he goes, Well, that kind of makes sense, Dad. Yeah. I said, So that's what it is. It's just that little something extra.
2: Giving a little extra.
1: Giving yeah. a little extra, and you're going to get amazing results. Yeah. And so, but I was learning from him because I was like, Holy cow. I mean, I love this kid. I love where his mind goes. And we just have these wonderful conversations.
2: I love the fact that what you saw there as a parent it was a little window into his psyche, like a little window into his thinking. Like he knew there was something about that quote that he liked. He didn't fully understand it fully or the application of it, but he liked something about it. And And, it might have just
1: been the simplest form of that extras in front of ordinary.
2: Yeah, it could be that. I I think, though, that he's at an age and and most kids are at an age where they want to be extraordinary. Do you remember that feeling of being like it? You know, grade school, junior high, high school. Away. I wanted
1: to be a lawyer that drove around a semi truck. Yeah, that was that, 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 that is definitely extra. Yeah, <laughs> that right, that's definitely extra. But I mean, really, I mean, I would tell yeah. people that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a lawyer who drives a diesel.
2: So at that time in your life, you're looking for something like that, right? Yeah, you're looking, like, and so he was attracted to that idea of that, and I, I think the the fact that you gave him a real life example for himself uh, was brilliant because that allows him. To now own like, oh, yeah, I can do that in my life. I can give the little extra. So
1: I, I think that's, that's a great moment. And, and, and that's what I love about being sober is having these authentic interactions with my son, with people I meet, with my girlfriend, with my mother, with my father. I have these and I can remember them because when I was just drinking all the time, all I was trying to do was get you to laugh and then move on to the next person because that's where my – It's superficial, right? Yes, yeah. I was very superficial. Yeah. And so I love it. Hey, today we've got a good show for you. Oh, I'm got, excited. We've got a guy back from, uh, he's done podcasts twice now. He's our third time returner.
2: And he buys more shoes than I do. So yeah. that's, that's good. His Makes name me is feel better.
1: Patrick Williams. And, yeah. and uh, he's been sober now just uh, a little under four years. We're going to find out more about his story. But I always like to check back with our guests if we can to find out how their recovery is going. Because a right. lot of times people are just one and done. And then we never hear from him again.
2: Yeah, and and there and we would love to touch base with people more often. So I'm glad Patrick came, and I'd like to reframe his t- sobriety time. Yeah, not a little under four years, almost four years. I like what you right? do. Right? Yeah, I see that.
1: But see, here's the so deal. Good. So we're having him back, and guess what? I what? just found out. Yeah. Last Saturday, mm-hmm. he'd also been on the podcast twice. Keaton. Ah, Keaton, sober and just got married. To a yoga instructor and the love of his life. Oh, good for him! That's awesome, right? Yeah. So I'm just letting you guys know that recovery is possible. If Keaton
2: can marry a yoga instructor, there's hope for everybody, right? Right. She's absolutely beautiful, good and for you him. should see the
1: picture of him. He's glowing.
2: You know what? I think I saw. I, yeah. I think I saw that on uh, on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Good for him.
3: So almost four years, Patrick. Almost four years. Yeah. I don't have a yoga instructor yet. 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 See the, the optimism the is. Right.
1: Right, right. (laughs) We're going to find out what recovery looks like and uh, how he's doing it all on social media. You're listening to Project Recovery.
0: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin, and my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, will find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.
1: Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I am Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Our guest today is Patrick Williams. How are you, sir? Good. Good to be back. So you were on the podcast probably about two years ago. Uh, talking about uh, your recovery and your sobriety. Yes. Uh, well. Give us a quick cliff note version of what that looked like so we can give people a frame of
3: mind of who and what you are. When you want me to go back to how long I've been sure. sober? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I spent about a decade or so um, drinking and smoking marijuana. Um,
2: Was alcohol your DOC?
3: Yeah. I would kind of say both uh, actually because I did – the two Alcohol and weed. Yeah. If I was smoking, I was drinking. If I was drinking, I was smoking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go to bed or whatever. Um yeah, and it got, you know, it got really bad uh near the end of my end of my thirties. I'm in my forties now. Um and yeah, my life got completely unmanageable. You know, lost jobs, got DUIs, had an interlock in my car. If um, I
1: remember and uh if I'm wrong, tell me. Uh, many people do. Uh, at some point, you would have your kid blow into your car.
3: Yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty, pretty low point. Um, yeah, I, had, I, I was a single dad. I pretty much had him. Most of the time I was drinking. I don't know how I kept that together as much as I did, but I did. Um, and I needed to get him to school. And I had drank so much the night before that I tried to blow in my interlock and it, it wouldn't start. You know, It failed. It failed the test. And I was like, I don't know what to do. We've got to get him to school. And so I had him had him blowing it.
2: One of the things I like about you, Patrick, is you're just honest, man. <laughs> and so I recall back at when your episode had come out and you told that story that I had, I think, at least a couple people tell me, like, I could never be that honest because that's so embarrassing to admit. But but that's what people do when they're, yeah. you know, in the height of their addiction. Life has fallen apart and you sometimes make choices that you're. Embarrassed about, but I'm glad you're willing to talk about it because that brings people together.
3: Yeah, it was the, I think a huge part of my recovery is honesty because I was so secretive about what I was doing, right? Manipulative. Yeah. I mean, I I'm lied. saying for me, oh, I mean, it was it's- the same. I lied about everything, every, every, Data go on. Stuff that you didn't even
1: need to lie about.
3: Yeah, it's just. I mean, that's how bad it is. Oh, you
1: you could tell the truth and you wouldn't get in trouble, but you decided to lie anyways.
2: Well, I think at some point you're kind of like, which lie is related to what? I better just keep lying because, you know, one lie leads to another. Pretty when you have this. You've woven a tapestry of dishonesty yeah, and you don't even know what's real.
3: Yeah, it was okay. hard it was hard for me to, to be to be brutally honest, like impeccable with your word. I mean that's hard as a human anyways, right? Yeah, for sure. But if you're trying to cover an addiction or, you know, you're an alcoholic, like you've gotta keep this 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 persona up and I just couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it anymore. I think this is a
1: perfect segue into why I wanted you back on the podcast because Dr. Matt said that, you know, a lot of people were going to be so embarrassed of how honest you were and they don't think they could do that. Yeah. And I I recently did a post because people have accused me uh, of, you know being too open about my recovery and sometimes it's embarrassing and I did a post about it and I says, you know Embarrassment what? Embarrassment by association? Yeah. That's and, true. That's a real thing. Yeah, People, yeah. yeah. And, and there's that thing but I said, you know what? I'm not embarrassed of how openly I am about my recovery. I'm more embarrassed about my actions in my addiction. You know, so yeah. that I mean, that's okay. where it was. Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, look, if, if you think this is embarrassing, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I did some stuff that, I, that
3: it would blow I think your mind. I you
2: have to be more embarrassed about what you did in your addiction in order to be as honest as you need to be now, Mm -hmm. right, for everybody. And if you're you're not more embarrassed about that, then you're going to continue being dishonest. And it takes some
1: time to get that honest. But I have watched you now ever since you came on the podcast and I've watched your uh, social media, your TikTok, your LinkedIn, your Instagram, whatever you're on, you are so open About your situation and what life looks like for you in recovery. I mean, and I'm not putting you on blast here. I've seen you cry. Yeah, for sure. Multiple times on TikTok Reels and Instagram because you're just talking about what's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What
3: benefit does that do for you? Uh, It's it's for me. You know what I mean? Like I think when you're talking about how people are – you know, they're embarrassed for you. Like your recovery is yours. Mm -hmm. Right. So whatever, whatever you're doing to stay sober, whether that's going to AA, whether that's working out or I play a lot of golf, I started running. I hated running. I still hate it. Every Mm -hmm. single time I get get to that four miles and you're just like, Oh, I hate this. But there's just something chemically that happens in my brain. If I'm not working out every day, if I'm not, you know, being active or going golfing or whatever, like, those thoughts starts to creep in like, oh, I could just go to the liquor store, just right around the corner from my house and holiday. I, I could, could run there. I could run. Oh, I ran there. Yeah. I, I did run there all the time because I was too drunk to drive around the corner. Um, so, but yeah, I've, I've had a lot of people, I've had some negative, you know, response to uh, my LinkedIn uh, account, especially because it's supposed to be a professional business platform. Mm-hmm. And um People don't talk about mental health. People don't talk about anxiety, you know, in, at, at work with, you know, all these big tech companies here. And I had numerous people DM me, send me private messages. like, Hey, Patrick, I really appreciate you talking about openly about your suicide attempt or your alcoholism or your drug addiction. Cause I couldn't do that. I probably would get fired if people knew, yeah. uh, you know, maybe I'm active in addiction or I'm trying to, trying to, you know, go into recovery. So, um, you know, I, you know, the whole point for me doing it is, is, is for me. And if I could help, you know, one alcoholic or one drug addict, you know, realize that there's, there's hope out there that, you know, if I could do it, if Casey can get sober, it was, you know, I was, we were in the depths of hell, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like we were, you know, we lost everything. Um, so, and to be able to 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 you know you know, get knocked down i get up again that what's that chumba uh-huh. i get knocked down. <laughs> well, I, I get, get up in my again head. It's such a great song you know it's a song
1: about drinking i did yeah, yeah. they say in the song piss in the night away that means because they have just been drinking so much that they spend all the time Can in the we just show room. our
3: millennial yeah yeah, yeah millennial i'm cool age. With that. but <laughs> so what finally got you sober um i didn't go to rehab i should have um like i said it was a good decade long run i was raised LDS and then left the church and I kind of drank at the church, you know what I mean? it was like, "Oh, I can do this now." and did all the things so I wasn't told I was not supposed to do. Um, and then it just I knew I was an alcoholic the first time I had alcohol when I was 15. I had a had a had a Budweiser on a cruise and it, it hit my system and I was like, "Whoa. Like this is this is it," you know? And so I drank intermittently through high school and stuff.
2: Wait. Looking back, you knew at the time when you were fifteen. Did you think this is going to be a problem?
3: Um, I had a I had a feeling. Okay. Uh, I knew, I knew uh, addiction ran my family, and, and depression, and personality disorder. So, weren't you in a boy band? I was no. I was in a I was in a singing group. <laughs> it was like a performing group.
2: He's reframed it in, yeah. in his mind. So, did you, you ever go
3: to Lagoon? You <laughs> yeah. know those guys that perform performing Yeah. I did stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, we perform on cruises and a yeah. boy band. There was, there was girls in the group, too. We danced and sang, okay, insane songs, but yeah <laughs> sure. I gotcha
1: so how, what was your rock bottom I mean how did you finally get sober?
3: yeah, um it was after my d u i didn't didn't do it, and then I got a second one, still kept drinking, kept trying to put us facade um were those d
2: u i serious like uh, like accident wise
3: no, they weren't serious, just got pulled over. On the freeway, just driving too fast. Um, yeah, but uh, it was it was around. So I would take breaks on my own, like I would not drink for months, right? And that's and that's what a lot of addicts do. I mean, yeah. I, I, in my own story, or switch to like vodka instead of whiskey or yeah. beer instead of whatever. Well, I
1: could take two months off just to prove to everybody else. I could tell them for the next two years. Do you remember that time I took two years, two months off? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, yeah. yeah, well,
2: That's I was, common, I was, uh, du- I was, it, you're deluding yourself. Yeah. yeah.
3: I was dating a girl. It was really difficult for me uh, to hold a relationship obviously. And so I didn't have many relationships while I was drinking, but I, I met this one girl near the end of like my bottom and we went to San Diego. I went to go see, uh, I was still trying to be spiritual, still trying to like maintain, you know, some form of spirituality. So I went to go see Abraham Hicks. She's like a manifestation law of attraction guru. Okay. It was a workshop and, uh, she was into it. So it was her sister and I was drunk the entire time, the entire four or five days that we were there. And, um, I didn't, I didn't realize how drunk I was. Um, and we got back home and she came over to my house and was like, do you really know what happened this weekend? I'm like, what are you talking about? I thought we had a great time. And she's like, you ran up a $600 tab At the Hilton bar, the the Marriott bar, you were downstairs at the bar the entire time. And I had – I was completely oblivious to it. I thought we were having a good time. We were going to dinner, went to this workshop. And so I spent that weekend in this like binge, like woe is me type of drinking, Mm -hmm. you know, depression. Um, And I woke up – this was like from a Sunday to a Thursday – So, I was just completely sick and woke up. I said, Okay, I got to do this. And I'd reached out to friends about AA, and my friends said, Maybe you should go to rehab. And I checked out rehab, and it was just too expensive. My parents weren't going to help me. They put my little brother through rehab and thousands of dollars. Um, So, yeah, I went to an AA meeting that Thursday morning and uh, stood up. And that was February 7th, you know, three and a half years ago. And said, "Hey, I'm Patrick. I'm an alcoholic, and I need some help." That that was that was that was what I needed at the time. Um, and I went to AA every day after that for about 90 days, um, and then yeah, I started working the program. I don't work it much anymore. The 12 step. Um, yeah, um, but that's what I needed. That that's 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 what you know. It was. It was either I was going to kill myself or I was going to kill somebody by driving drunk or, you know, I was going to end up in jail, uh, in prison for the rest of my that's life. That's usually
1: how it ends with most addicts.
3: Yeah. Yep. So, you know, I I don't know what clicked well, that day. but well,
1: what what?
2: So what do you think? You said that's what I needed. So mm-hmm. yeah, just expand on that a little bit. Like what did you get out of AA?
3: Uh, I think I learned the honesty, piece, honesty piece there. Cause I was, I was such a manipulative person and I just, just was a professional liar. Um, most of my, you know, when I was a kid, even through adulthood. Right. And so I think one, one thing the AA teaches you is like, you've got to be honest about your sobriety, you know, what you're doing, how, how you're talking to people, being impeccable with your word, things like that. So, um, I needed to get brutally honest with myself. Number one, to admit that I really did have a problem because I didn't think I did. What do you think
2: about the girlfriend that was? Uh, she she called you out a little bit by bringing up the six hundred dollar tab and oh yeah. you know, all that. Like like, was that hard to hear?
3: Oh yeah, of course. Yeah yeah, I really I really liked her. Um and uh, it was it was not fair. It was not fair to her. Um and you know I would not want to be in a relationship with me. <laughs> you know, during that time, it well, was, you guys
2: are there to have this sort of you know, spiritual conversation and uh, enlightenment and open up your mind to things. And I, yeah. it sounds like she was pretty disappointed.
3: Oh yeah, she was extremely disappointed. Yeah, I you know that I ruined that. I ruined most relationships because of of my my drinking or my big ego or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, but I'm really grateful for her, and we've we've subsequently have made amends with her, and uh, we're friends. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm really glad that, that she cared enough about me to to say, hey, look, I'm not going to do this anymore, so you need to get some help. Um,
2: but there must have been something – because it sounds like you, that wasn't the first time no. you heard something like that from a girlfriend. So did was there something different that made you kind of think, I can call up my buddies and find out about this AA thing?
3: Yeah, I, I just think I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah, there you go. Like I was just done. Like I – I don't know if there is a bottom, like I think it's a bottomless pit that we just keep digging and digging Some and digging. people
2: dig that and it becomes their grave. I mean, they Well, yeah, is until you die. That's pit, that's what right? I'm saying, it's a bottomless so pit. So, right? I think when we talk about like hitting rock bottom, rock bottom's uh, it's a metaphor for insight. Right. Right? Like that's your that's, that at some point something people say clicks or it's different this time. This particular girlfriend saying this to me this time. Or this experience I had this time, which is so much like all the ones I had before. Somehow, in in the individual person's brain, there's an insight moment that happens, an epiphany, and that flips the switch yeah. to. And it may not happen right away, but people can almost always who who get sto- sober and stay sober and live a life of recovery. There's something at some point. It's like oh. And so I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, whatever, however the insight feels to that person. Right. Um, but then I'm always curious what they, what they attach to. And in your case, you had the moment and then you attach to AA and other people have tried AA and they're like, yep, not that, that. wasn't right. for me. Yeah. They attached to something else, you know? So it's just interesting, I think, to find out like what it does for a person in your case, what AA did for you is the honesty piece,
1: I guess.
3: Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was a re- it was a regiment. It was, you know, something consistent. I was doing every day structure. Right. And then there was a community there that you can meet with. And, and see, it. for
1: me, that's what it was. I remember because I'm not a 12 step or an AA guy. But for the first time in my addiction, I didn't feel alone.
3: Right. And yeah. I found out you were that- in a room full of right. other people that were telling very similar stories. Right. And you're like, oh, I I'm really not that bad. And speaking of stories, we're listening to Patrick
1: Williams' story. We're going to hear
3: from more from him in just a few
1: seconds. You're listening to Project Recovery. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Willie. Our guest today is Patrick Williams. We found out uh, how you got sober and a little bit of why you got sober. But why I really wanted you on the podcast was to talk about your social. Uh, you're very honest on your social. Uh, I've seen you go through three or four girlfriends. Uh seen you go through three or four breakups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you showcase your son. Uh, it, it's all out there for anybody who wants it. Yep. Uh my first question is what does your son think about your sobriety? Um he's How old is he now?
3: He's 14. Okay. Yeah, so he, he growing up, you know, through one through, you know, 12 about he had a drunk dad. Like I said, I I I try not to drink around him. Um but it was hard cuz you know, I'd had some weekends off and days off that my ex-wife would take him. Um yeah, but for the most part, I remember it was several years ago when I was first getting sober. Uh, he mentioned to me one time about the interlock. He's like, "Dad, I'm really proud of you. that You don't have that interlock in the car anymore because mm-hmm. it was it was embarrassing to him. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. Everywhere I went, I had to. It know, goes off. Up. I had one with my kids. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he doesn't. He's he's a really insightful kid. Um, so I think he gets it. Like he talks about me going to AA and. Like sometimes I'll have to go to a meeting. I don't go to a ton of anymore, but when I do, you know, if he's home be like, Hey, I'm going to go to a meeting. He's like, okay, cool. You know, stuff like that. So he's, he's pretty aware. Kids are really smart and resilient, very resilient, but he
2: doesn't, it doesn't sound like at 14, he's too embarrassed of, of this, like, like putting it out on social or does he, does
3: he, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's 14, you know, I'm on, I'm on TikTok, and that's kind of where they're at right now. Right. Right. Um, And,
1: uh, you got like 30,000 followers on TikTok.
3: Yeah. It's, 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 it's been interesting. It's been fun. You know, I've been able to talk about, you know, being sober and a single dad, you know, in Utah as an ex Mormon in your forties. Right. (laughs) So that's, that's a lot for, for someone to navigate. And, uh, you know, there's, there's sometimes a message it's sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's a dumpster fire, you know, dating, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that I meet that don't that don't understand sobriety. And so I'm like, yeah, well it's all out there. If you want to, if you want to get to know me, sometimes that's bad. Sometimes people that I meet are like, no, like this is way too much for me. Like I can't. Um, but for the most part, people are pretty, pretty supportive. I've noticed.
1: So you've gone on dates. Uh, you navigate that world. What's it like dating in your forties, uh, sober, uh, what, I mean,
3: walk me through that. (laughs) I yeah. Do you
2: only date sober? Sober. No, non-date? I don't. Nope. Yeah.
3: So I, I, I took two years off. I told myself I need to give myself two years before I got back in the dating world to get sober. Um, and, uh, uh, so when I first started doing it, it was really difficult because I would go on dates and just get blasted. Right. Cause it would take the edge off. I would probably be drunk before I got to the date and then I would drink during the date, and then drink after. Right. And there's mm-hmm. stuff that, I don't even remember. Um, So it was really hard for me to to start dating and actually like be present with myself and have an actual sober conversation with somebody.
1: Feel the feels.
3: Yeah. Feel feel all the things, feel all the feels. Um, And it was, it was difficult for me to try to connect because I'm, I'm naturally pretty outgoing. um, And so it was, it was hard for me to like try to figure that out. Like, oh my gosh, like I can't. You know, rely on funny drunk Patrick right now. I have to be like present and be witty, and you know, be funny, but also not be you know weird, and <laughs> that, yeah, that's hard for me to do sometimes. So, but uh, yeah, I I had I, I dated a girl last year. It was great. Um, you know, it was kind of what I needed at the time, um, and uh, um, she drank and. And stuff like that. It didn't, didn't really bother me. Um, but I sensed sort of, uh, you know, there was just kind of a resentment going on um, with my lifestyle. It just didn't jive together. Uh, and so, um, yeah, she moved away and we couldn't do long distance. So,
1: so I mean, I could imagine uh, because she wants to go on a weekend getaway go have some fun whether it's Vegas or whatever and and partying usually goes hand in hand with that. And then here comes my sober boyfriend. Right. And now I've got to worry about him being sober, but I also want to have fun. And so do you think that got in the way?
3: Yeah, I you know, it's hard, it's hard for me. To, it's really hard for me to say um Did you
2: have any uh, girls or that that particular girl like did they, like you said, I have to worry about like, like, were you a downer for them? Like, like was, no. was like, Oh, or do they have to worry like, Oh, I don't want to set my drink down next to Patrick. <laughs> well, like, was it stressful
3: for them? I think so. I think, I think people don't know how to act around people that are sober. 100%. Definitely. Don't. Um, 100%. and they're like, you're just like, look, I John
2: Mulaney has a great uh, yes. bit about like, they don't know what to offer you. And you're right. There. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You need a liquid death. Like, what do you want? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and liquid so death a drink. It's
2: water. It's water
3: that. just yes. sits like in that. It can. Does, It
2: looks like it looks like a beer though. Like it does. I remember when my sixteen-year-old, when he was sixteen, he had like he bought a case of Liquid Death and it was sitting by our fridge in the garage. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, that's I first time too. Looked, I thought it was, it was alcohol. An office, and I was but, like, yeah. you guys
3: are getting blitzed at the office. Let's go. What's going on here? It's the
2: it's the cool kid water. Okay. Casey. Yeah.
3: Um. But no, I think I've noticed after that. Um. You know, it was just it was just hard to. Um, you know, I mean, you're sober, right? And so you, you notice people, how annoying you were when you were drunk and then you're watching this sort of from an outside perspective and you're like, I was, I was like that, like I was worse than that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's really, I think it's a good litmus test for, for people that are trying to get sober. Mm -hmm. Um, can you be around people that are, that are drinking, that might be doing drugs? Do I think it's the... You know, a, a bad thing to do. No, everybody's recovery is different. Um, I don't mind dating people that, that might have a drink or two, but if it's you know if it's excessive, you know, that lifestyle is not gonna that's not gonna jive with me. Um, you know, going partying every weekend, like you said, like you need to, you need a lifestyle and a partner that's going to you know, complement complement that. Right. So
1: I agree with that for sure. So that brings me to the last time you were crying on TikTok. Do you remember that? I cry a
3: lot. <laughs> so walk me through one of them. Um, let's see. I don't even. Oh, I'm trying to remember. Um, do you
1: think about these, or do you just hit record
3: and go? I got something to say. I yeah. I don't. I don't really think about the content per se. Um, you know. I, I yeah. I think. It might be after I meditate or whatever, and something's percolating in, in my brain, and I'll be like, "I want to talk about this." Um, but yeah, I mean, going through—I I think it was when I was going through that breakup, right? And I was mm-hmm. talking about this is the first time I've been sober going through a breakup, and it, like you said, it was all the feels. Like it was—it was just. Everything. I mean,
2: that's why so many people drink, right? Like yeah. you even said, like pre-gaming before a date, yeah, so that you don't. Ha- I mean, it's you're disconnected it's from so, the start, well, yeah, and then, so
3: much of my identity was. You know, being this like dater, right? Like my profile's the bachelor's life, right? So that was what I built this persona around. Um, and so when that ended, um, I was just trying to process everything and like, you know, the feelings that I had, you know, what did I do? Why didn't it work out? And I would normally drink in that situation because I wanted to numb out. I didn't want to feel those things. But well, that's I, why
1: the bar business is such a great business. If you're celebrating, you go to the bar. Yeah. If you're miserable, you go to the bar. Either way, you're going to the bar. It's it's a win-win yeah, sure. for them.
3: Yeah, for sure. You know,
1: And so when you are going through a heartbreak and you're going through the feels and all of that, you're right, you want to numb because you want something to take that off. But when you're sober, you've got to sit there.
3: Yeah, and I think the, the, the most the worst experiences I've had drinking is when I've gone through relationship breakups. Like that's my huge trigger because I crave human connection, right? Like I, like I need it. Um, and when that goes away, it's just sends me down this emotional tailspin and that's when I got really bad. But this time I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to do that. I, it took, a, you know, a few weeks or months and You know to process it. Were you tempted to to drink? Um, You know, I was tempted to smoke marijuana, um, Mm. but I was not tempted to drink. Um, So, but yeah, I I, it was a it was. But you didn't. I didn't. No. Congratulations.
1: Yeah. Um, And that for those who don't know, that's a huge milestone. Yeah, is getting through that. You know, I mean, the breakup it sucks, but not drinking or smoking. To get
3: you through that is amazing. Yeah, and it was I I, uh, I noticed that I was getting pretty depressed though, um, and my anxiety was through the roof. So I went to my doctor, uh, my my psychologist and therapist, and he's like, "It might be good for you to go on some uh, antidepressants for a while, some anti-anxiety medications, some SSRs and stuff." And so I was like, "Yeah, I'm open to that." Um, and yeah, I'm I'm taking Wellbutrin every day, and it's really leveled me out. Um, and it's helped it's helped me, you know, navigate this and stuff. And I'm
2: glad you brought that up because, I mean, the truth is uh, going through a breakup's hard. But a person going through a breakup who has a higher propensity to depression and anxiety, oh. Yeah. So, you know, the biology of that, uh, if, if you don't get real help with it, uh, proper help with it, measured help, then what's the tendency? It's to help yourself with things like weed. Yeah. You know, alcohol self-medicate yeah mm-hmm. self-medicate so i'm I'm glad you did that
3: yeah i'm glad i did too <laughs>
1: so what does recovery look like for you now uh for somebody who's listening huh? who is single and in recovery and wanting to put themselves back out there what are some things they should look you know, look at and be caution of or take stock in or I mean, is there a playbook? I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to tell you, you're the only guy I know that's been in recovery. That's been, you know, in the dating world, you know, and I just know it from watching you on TikTok. tock.
3: Yeah, um, I would definitely take some time to not date. Um, you know, they recovery. say the thirteenth step in the twelve step
1: program is hooking up.
3: Yeah. So you're saying uh, take some time on that. 13th. For sure. Yeah. You know, hurt people, hurt people. Right. You attract unhealed people if you're unhealed. Like mm-hmm. that's just what you navigate to. So, um, I think once you're starting to to really realize and work internally on yourself, and you know, go to therapy and work through these things, you have a better understanding of of the type of people you want to attract into your experience, right? Um, you aren't attracting alcoholics. You're not attracting drug addicts anymore. Like, you're changing your circles. You might have to change your friends. Um, you know, putting yourself out there on a dating app is hard. Like, it's it's really hard. I think it's brave for people, especially in recovery, putting themselves out there. And on my dating profiles, I said, I'm sober, um, you know? And so that you don't drive with that.
2: So, and so Casey and I hmm we've never been you've never been on, never a, been dating on a dating site app. Nope. i've never been on a dating app so in the room we, we got oh, producer Pat, josh he's josh, on every yeah. dating app. josh is on all of them, I'm, I'm uh, pretty
1: pretty pretty all of them. tinder
2: yeah Hinge. all those grinder he's on all of them <laughs> no i don't know i don't know what they do um but uh no but what's it what i mean josh can you can you pipe in like so we've got uh we've got patrick here saying it's hard to put yourself out there i know you're not in recovery But is it hard to put yourself like, what's it like to put yourself on on an app, like create a profile and you're advertising for yourself basically?
0: Uh, I don't know. I guess it depends on how serious you're looking at it. Like, it, for me, it's like a game that we play with my family on the weekend where it's like we
3: all get together. <laughs> and like, together? Oh, yeah. Like, this person's cool. Okay, Let's so- swipe right there. But if you – like, I'm not actively being like, I'm looking for the love of my life. Okay. But if you are, then you have to approach it a lot more serious, which also means that if you don't get the results that you
0: want, you're probably so going to be So let me ask bomb. you
2: this. So I know you're not in recovery. Do you have a tendency to, like – Fudge the truth or hold back on information about yourself.
1: No,
3: because I'm 33. Like, do you, do you, <laughs> like, you say that you're the
1: producer of an award-winning
3: podcast? I, I definitely don't. I don't KSL. I, if, if I'm gonna <laughs> if I'm gonna fudge anything, I'll be like a member of the cartel or something like that. Like, oh I, yeah, being girls a like producer the bad boys.
1: for. Project recovery. All right, so all I those mean,
2: out there swiping on Bumble yeah, today, you can, beware. you can
3: find anything you want, honestly, on those dating apps. But, um, well, the
2: reason I'm this up is, Patrick, you have this, thanks, Josh. Patrick, you know, you have this, uh, you're out there. Right. And so it's whether it's a dating app or it's your social, and I guess what I'm trying to, to discover, I want the listeners to hear, what is that doing for you? Like, how does it help you? Because you're putting a lot of time, I think about like social, and I'll I'll post a picture now and then but but I think it's doing something more for you what do you think it, being out there does for you because it is kind of scary like you brought up like, you know
3: again I think it goes back to the idea of me just being such a such an egomaniac um, and I just craved like attention especially in. in you're the nicest
2: egomaniac I've ever met well, I think yeah
3: I think well call yourself <laughs> an egomaniac or a narcissist you probably aren't because you can't, yeah, exactly. couldn't recognize that exactly. but yeah. um, I I think it's it's more it's more of a um, a therapy, I guess you could say for me um, to to put myself out there. Again, it's it's sometimes it's been good, sometimes it it hasn't been good. Some people will stumble upon my so kind of profile. cathartic,
2: though. Like, yeah, because it sounds like you said, "Well, I have an insight. Like maybe I've done my meditation, and I've got something, and I just want to put it out there."
3: Yeah,
1: I'm in a hazard. I'm not a therapist, but my friend is. Um, I think it's connection. I think mm-hmm. you get some connection out of that. Yeah. I think you yeah. get a community, and I think you you put it out there, and those who are attracted to you like what you're doing, and there's that connection. I, I for me, yeah. That's there's I I a
3: huge recovery community on, well, especially on TikTok. You know, there's like sober talk, and then there's you know, the algorithm will show that type of those type of videos and on your for you page and stuff. So. Yeah. There's a, there's been a ton of connection. I've, 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 I've got some, some clients, you know, through my, my business, through me being talking about this openly, uh, you know, them being sober and being like, Oh yeah, I don't know if it makes me, yeah. I don't know if it makes me more trustworthy, but they, they understand, you know, going through recovery and what that looks like and and being sober for a number of years. There's a little bit of a, you know, uh, a grittiness to to people that can do this. Um, so I,
2: I think it would make you more trustworthy. I mean, I hope so. I I, I can't see how it would hurt.
1: I think it would help trust because the stuff you're going through isn't what most people would lie about, right? You know what I mean? To, to how honest and real you are. Yeah. You know well, mean? there's a
3: stigma. Well, I'm you know I'm in marketing and works for tech companies around here, and there's a stigma around. Uh, mental health and around, you know, talking about being an alcoholic and, you know, like you said, like there's a lot of women that I'll meet that'll, that'll, you know, be like, no, I won't date anybody who's, who's, who is an alcoholic or has gone through recovery because they've had awful experiences, right? Mm -hmm. An ex or a boyfriend. Um, So there's, there's those hurdles you have to jump through. But again, this is my recovery. It's, it's my life. Um, If you want to, it's a pretty cool life. I'm really proud of it um and if you want to join that and go golfing all the time then cool <laughs> but if not then that's great but that attitude i used to be pretty cynical towards um you know dating and uh you know it was their fault like like no it was not it was it was me like i was you can ruining, see that now yeah i was ruining every every relationship So let me ask
1: you this. Doctor Matt asked uh, producer Josh a question. Are you looking for love on these
3: uh, dating sites? Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, I don't I don't know how else how else I'm going to meet somebody. Like I don't go to church anymore. I don't go to bars. Um, Yeah, I'm you know try to go to events and pretty social. But um, yeah, I would I would like to meet somebody and you know have a romance and. Um, but again, I think you can find anything that you want. I've made a lot of really good friends, good girlfriends that I'm friends with to this day that, that I've met on dating apps. Didn't romantically work out, but they're awesome humans. And so, um, yeah, I, I most certainly am. So coming up
1: on four years of sobriety, what has sobriety taught you?
3: Oh gosh. Uh, it's taught me, um, how to cope with, with my actual feelings without numbing them with a substance or, or a drug. Um, it's taught me how to be a better father. Uh, it's taught me how to be a better human in general, how how to be more honest in business. Um, it's taught me how to, uh, spend money because <laughs> I used <laughs> to spend my well, I to spend spending on shoes and clothes now, but, um, but yeah, it's it it's cha- It's completely changed my life. Like I like I was talking to you earlier. I had to like recreate. Like I had this personality, this this, this guy in me, but it was so suppressed for so many years that it, it just couldn't come out. Um, so much in the fact that you meet people now
1: and they don't remember you. Yeah, or well, I don't recognize you because yeah.
3: I was you know drunk or high. Um, yeah, so it's been interesting trying to navigate that and you know creating. You know, the life you want, the life I want, exactly, and attracting those those people that you want into your experience. Um, definitely, uh, it takes a lot of work, and and you know, I struggle. I struggle with mental health and my depression, and um, I have to be really on top of it. Or, you know, you can you can slip up, and you can go right back down to where you so were. So, do
2: you prioritize things like your medicine? You said you had a therapist.
3: Yep. Yeah, monthly. I see my therapist monthly. Um, I work, try to work out and run every day. I try to meditate at least fifteen to twenty minutes a day. That's that's not always something that I do, but I notice a huge difference when I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I try to try to eat well, but uh, well,
2: it's a balance. You're creating a balance in your life, whereas sure. drugs and alcohol Im- create an imbalance, right? It's a, it's a one fix for everything, but it doesn't really fix anything. It makes everything worse. Yeah. For it, sure. it it is. Uh, you have to be purposeful, and you have to be on top of it, but uh is life better now or back then
3: oh it's way- yes, it's way better now, so yeah, so it's yeah. worth it I highly recommend it. it is so choice. Oh, no, sobriety was the best thing i is ever done. Is that a Bueller uh, You got it. Yes. Oh, you guys bonding. Well, Patrick, I'm
1: glad you stopped by and shared your story with us today. Uh, we like to check in with people who've been on the podcast to see how the recovery is going. Yeah. And once again, your recovery is your recovery. And it seems like you're rocking it and doing it well. And I'm proud to call you my friend. If people want to follow you on your social,
3: where do they go? TikTok is The Bachelor's Life. <laughs> All one word. Um yeah, LinkedIn's just Patrick Williams. You can find me on there. Picture of a beard. As of uh, today
2: we're now Instagram. Yeah, friends. Was, yeah,
3: Instagram, it's Petrick Will. Petrick Will. I love so it. What I out. think's
2: cool about that is actually most of our guests that come on, not all, but most, you hear their story. They can follow and watch your story basically.
3: Yeah. It's yeah. all it's all out there, man. The good, the bad. Make yourself feel better or worse. I
1: don't. (laughs) I love it, man. Thank you for stopping by and thank you for letting us into your ears one more time. You've been listening to Project Recovery. And in case you forgot what?
2: It's a KSL podcast.
3: KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk.
0: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport.
2: She was tear-gassed and beaten.
0: Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds.